We're in week three of We Have Not Stopped. Um, this is looking at some of Paul's prayers uh, to the churches in the New Testament. Uh, Paul had a care and a concern and a passion for the people that he wrote to. And in the letters uh, that he wrote to them, he said, he, he said this phrase twice and then said other things about praying for the church. Uh, and so we want to take a look, a deeper look, uh, some of the things that, that Paul says. And if the first week we looked at the first prayer that Paul prayed to the church in Ephesians in, in chapter one. And last week Reese looked at the prayer that Paul prayed for the church in Philippi, in Philippians, uh, to encourage them. So we're now looking at the second prayer in, in Ephesians for the church there. Um, and Paul is, uh, Paul is the, the apostle, he's the leader. And he has a responsibility and a duty uh, to the people, uh, to God's people, uh, to feed them, uh, but also to lead them as well. And one of the things that uh, whenever you're involved in any sort of, of leadership, doesn't matter whether it's in church work or secular work, sometimes you've got to tell people what they don't want to hear, but also you've got to take them to places that they don't want to go, but they need to go to. Uh, and, and that's in, in all sorts of, uh, you know, all, all sorts of fields of work and ministry, church and stuff. And Paul does that in the letters that he writes to. He tells them things sometimes they're not sure that they really want to hear but they need to hear because he wants to encourage them as he leads them uh, as and he feeds them within church he says uh, th there was something we said in the first week about the prayer that Paul had that he wanted them to get to know God better I suppose if we were look, as we look at his second prayer to the Ephesians this morning, we want to look at this idea of actually that they would understand that God wants them to be, that God's desires that they would be all that they can be in him. Uh, and that's really, the, what, that's really what church leadership, in a sense, is about when you're leading people. It's really broken down into feeding people and, and leading people because there's a desire within you to see people become everything that God wants them to be, that God has a plan for every individual's life. He has a purpose for them. And, uh, and anybody that's involved in any sort of leadership or, or, or that, then you are a part of the plan that God uses, you're a, part of, you're a person that God uses uh, to bring that about, to further his kingdom, uh, to, to see the work of God being done. And it's only really following on from what Paul does here because the second prayer that we're looking at today in Ephesians 3, it's broken down into two parts. Uh, and so we're going to read the verses in a second, but we want to grasp this from the beginning. That the prayer that Paul had that was that God might strengthen them with power through his spirit in their inner being. Uh, we don't become Christians and we don't get saved and then God sort of leaves us until we meet him again in heaven one day. He says, God empowers us by his spirit in our inner being. And the prayer that Paul has for the church there is that God might strengthen them uh, with power through his spirit in their inner being. So that's the first part of the prayer. And the second part of the prayer is this, that they might use that power to grasp the limitless dimensions of the love of Christ. You know, we say sometimes, and it's so important to say it, Jesus loves you. And, and he does. 
all of you, all of us, every single one of us from this wall right to the back there, every single one of us. It says, but Paul writes to the church here and he doesn't want them to love Jesus more. He wants them to grasp the love that Christ Jesus has for each and every single one of them. Because that's part of the problem sometimes. We don't grasp or comprehend, as Paul writes here to the church in Ephesus, the, the, the love that Christ has for each and every one of us. But we can't experience that until we understand the power that's at work in us that we looked at last time. And so we're going to break that down a little bit uh, this morning. So five verses from Ephesians 3, 14 to 19. Paul writes, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. This is the prayer that Paul has. He says he comes at the beginning and he gives it and he says these three words. He says, for this reason, he gives the reason for his praying. Uh, and so it's the preceding verses where he talks about basically the mystery of the gospel being opened up to the Gentiles. It's now opened up to everybody. And so Paul is giving the reason why he's praying the prayer for them, much like in chapter one, when verses three to 14 explained all the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. He says this phrase again. He says, for this reason, he says, I'm praying for you. I kneel before the Father and I come and I pray. Uh, and, and so he prays three or four things here that we're going to look at. The, the first thing he, he prays for is this. He prays for this idea that Christ would dwell in our hearts. You know, when we come to Christ the, the, and he moves into our lives, often he finds us in a, a bad state of repair. You ever watch these programs on the TV where they get this broken down house and it's all messed up? And a lot of you women love those sort of programs where the house is messed up and it costs a fortune to renovate it. And the husband's standing there saying, why don't we just go and buy a house that's already done? But that's not the project. The project is that you move in and you do the repair work and the renovation and you fix it up and you paint it and decorate it and you move walls and you do all this stuff. You, you in a sense, do a full and complete repair and renovation job. That's exactly what Christ Jesus does in our lives. He says we don't just invite him in almost as a partner into our lives, almost to walk along, alongside of us. Some of us came to Christ and we were really messed up. We were really broken. We really believed that we were beyond repair. And then Christ moved in. And you see, and there were two Greek words for the word dwell that's used here. The first one is almost like a, a, a stranger, uh, you know, the, a place that you come into as a stranger, that you, you, you sort of temporarily live somewhere. Or almost like, I'm going to live here for a time. That's not the word that's used here. It's the other Greek word. It's the dwell, which means to take up a permanent residence. And the idea that Paul is saying to the church here 
in, in Ephesians is, is Jesus is not coming in as some temporary resident into your heart. He's a permanent resident there to stay. He's dwelling in your heart. When you talk about dwelling somewhere, you're putting down roots and you're saying, this is where I'm going to live. This is where I'm going to be. Uh, and that's the word that Paul uses here where when he says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He says there's a permanence to it. Uh, so whether through the good times, the bad times, the hard times, the easy times, whatever times, he says that Christ may dwell into, in your hearts. And as he comes in at the beginning, he finds us in a, a state of mess. He finds us in a sense, uh, uh, you know, a bit broken. Often we forget where we've come from. We forget, I have an advantage. Uh, you know, I, I moved to Belfast when I was 26 and nobody knew me before that. Uh, and I was angelic and I was always very good and I was always sort of, and nobody's going to believe that. But the reality is that Christ comes into our heart at the point where we're so messed up and we're so broken and he takes up permanent residence to dwell there. But Paul is praying this prayer because they've got that bit sorted already. But it's now time to move on to the next thing. It's now time to move on to the next thing that, that, that God has for them. And so what Paul says to them is this, he says, I pray. Now he doesn't just pray, he says this, I pray out of his glorious riches. So I wonder, what does that mean, our glorious riches? Now, I don't know about you, when I was thinking about this driving in this morning, I thought to myself, I thought, I'm not particularly rich. I, I, I had no money in my pocket. And then I thought about my wallet. And I thought, I got no money in my wallet. And then I have a secret bank account that I keep for my wife. And I've got... <laughs> I've 18 pound in it. <laughs> And that's going to get spent at the end of this church service. I know that now. He says, I thought I'm not very rich. He said, none of us are very rich in that sense. He says, but Paul says here, he says, I pray out of his glorious riches. I thought, what is his glorious riches? He's telling them simply this, that everything that comes from God comes through Christ. It's what we have in Christ. There's a theme that we looked at in the Ephesians Bible studies that we did last year uh, that Paul mentions the phrase in Christ uh, so many times in the book of Ephesians. Uh, and he's saying this because he said, actually, our riches this morning, I'm not tied up in how much money you've got in your pocket, how much money you've got in your purse, how much money you've got in your bank account, how much money you've got anywhere. They're not your riches, they're your temporary riches. Paul is talking here about your glorious riches. And as he says, he says, well, why is he praying out of this? Because for this reason, everything that comes from God comes through Christ. You see, we have our pardon this morning. Imagine this, we're forgiven sinners this morning and have been pardoned for what we've done wrong. That's one of the glorious riches. Our reconciliation to God, we are reconciled to God, brought to him to be united with him, to be reconciled. That's one of the glorious riches that we have. Our debt has been paid uh, this morning. It says our debt of sin, what we could not pay ourselves, Christ took on the cross with him. That's one of the glorious riches this morning. Our security this morning. We might think we're poor in any other way this morning, but we have this security 
of God being with us, his assurance of his presence, this certainty that God is working things out for his good. It says our eternal life is a glorious riches, our forgiveness and our righteousness. And do you know something this morning? I could go on and on and on talking about the glorious riches that Paul is praying for, for the church there in Ephesians, but the glorious riches are ours this morning. And often the problem is, is we don't recognize how rich we are in Christ because often we're looking at the temporary stuff that's going on around us and forgetting this, that our glorious riches and everything that is our inheritance is, is from him, comes to us through Christ and it lasts not just for a lifetime but it lasts for eternity and that's why Paul's praying this for them that's why he's praying out of his glorious riches for the people today you see we see this that, that the Christ is dwelling in our heart we're receiving these glorious riches but you see when Christ dwells in our hearts and we receive this only then can we understand the next bit because this is the prayer that Paul has he prays that you would be rooted like a tree and grounded like a building simply on a strong foundation. But he uses these words at the end. He says, in love. Because everything in Christ has to be in love. So for us to be rooted, which is a gardening term or a horticultural term to use the right word, uh, that the roots would go down deep, which we read of elsewhere in other places in Paul's letters, that they would go down deep because they would give us security and they would give us a strong foundation, but also that, that the building is built on a strong foundation. But he says this word then, and I think it's important in, in different versions. of the, This version it says to grasp, and another version it says to comprehend. You know, when you grasp something, it is to take hold of it. You take hold of it and, and you don't let go. You know, when you use the word comprehend, you see something and you, you try and understand it. And the word that's used there is a mixture of both. Because Paul's prayer for the Ephesians is this, is that, that they would grasp this, that they would grasp this truth, that Christ is dwelling in their hearts, that all the glorious riches that are available to them come from God through Christ. And so their lives now are like rooted and grounded like a tree and like a building. Uh, and then he comes and he says to them that, that this is actually why you have received this, because you need to grasp grasp the love that Christ has for you today and he says not just intellectually though oh, I understand the A, B, C and if I do this it equals this he says no he says it's more than that because he says it's love that surpasses all knowledge so that doesn't mean we ignore knowledge we have to have knowledge but this love that Christ has for you and me it surpasses knowledge why because it's not enough to acknowledge the love for us in theory but to appreciate it in the practical. Because what Paul wants the church to do here in Ephesus is to grasp it by experience, to know and to live out that Christ loves them, that Christ is dwelling in their heart, that the glorious riches that are available are available to them now. You see, God's purpose for us when we are redeemed is not just to convince us to believe certain truths, but to transform our lives. 
in a process that begins when we're messed up and Christ dwells, comes to dwell in our heart and seeds us out through this lifetime into heaven and into eternity. That's the purpose of God in our life. Not that we would just grasp a truth in a sense, though that is important. He says not just to grasp that, but to experience that love of Christ. Why? Because this point here is so essential for what we're looking at that simply it takes the power of God to enable us to grasp the love of Christ. And Paul then comes and he begins to try and explain, well, how, how big is God's love? Well, how do we measure the love of God? How do we describe it in a sense, how much God loves us? There is a visual demonstration by the cross in that we're loved and that is expressed then in the forgiveness. But it's almost like it's going beyond that. It's almost immeasurable, the love that God has for you and me this morning. That It cannot be measured almost. You can grow in your understanding of God's love, but you'll never reach a point where you will be able to say, well, it, it's this big or, or it's this wide. I feel like breaking into that song, you know, the Jesus love is fair. Yeah, you know it? Yeah, come on, you do know it, but I'm not going to sing it. But it echoes the truth, doesn't it? It echoes the truth of how big and large and wide and deep is the love of Christ because he, he simply uses these illustrations that God's love is wide enough to include every person. God's love is long enough to last through all eternity. God's love is deep enough to reach the worst sinner. God's love is high enough to take us to heaven. It's almost like the preacher Judah Smith said, he says, God loves you before you were you. Yeah. I don't know that's a whole theological minefield, but it's a great quote like, that God loves you before you were you, as an expression in the sense of, we'll never be able to understand this. How do we ever understand that? The, 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 the width and the depth and the breadth and the height of the love that God has for us in Christ. And that knowledge that we talk about takes us so far. But this love, this love surpasses knowledge. Oh, it would bore you to tears this morning if I stood here and tried to explain the exact measurements of God, God's love. Call you would be bored. Some of you are more bored than you are now. Because to do this, it's immeasurable. It's unobtainable in our minds. It's actually, we cannot grasp it, though Paul is praying, grasp this and comprehend this, this knowledge that surpasses, this love, sorry, that surpasses all knowledge. How, how do we even begin to explain that? And Paul is praying that for the church in Ephesians, and it's a prayer that we pray for each and every person comes through that door that is in our life that they would begin to grasp the love that God has for them through his son, Jesus Christ. Because that above everything else is all that matters. That, that above it all is all that, that everything is about in a sense. That Paul all the way through Ephesians talks about this in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. He's, he's given the reasons and he's given the blessings. And he comes to this point now because as you come to the end of chapter 3, Paul is talking about the theology and the doctrine in chapters 4 to 6 in Ephesians. He's beginning to lay it all out practically. How does this stuff make a difference in our lives? And we must never come to a point 
where we begin, in a sense, to understand all of this, to comprehend all of this, that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, for you and for me, because he loved us, because he wanted to forgive us, because he wanted a relationship with us. And the measurement of that love is measured here. It's so wide, you can't measure it. It's so long, there's nothing that you can, no tape measure in the world that can measure it. It's so deep that, that you couldn't get to the bottom of it. It is so high that, that nobody could ever get that high. How high everybody has ever been, nobody could get that high. That's the comprehension of his love today. You see, God, the prayer that Paul has is, is what God wants them to understand as he talks about this. He says his desire for his, the readers here is to grow in God's love. And it has a specific purpose to simply this, to be all God wants you to be. That, that's a purpose of discipleship. It's a purpose of spiritual maturity. So simply this, when you grasp this stuff, that Christ dwells in your heart, that we have all his glorious riches this morning. He says that we do not begin to grasp and comprehend his love. He says the result of that, Paul says to the church, is basically this, that, that to be all God wants you to be. And, and there was a lot of talk sometimes in churches about purpose and destiny and all of those things. And I've preached it myself and I believe absolutely, totally that God has a purpose for each and every one of our lives. And yet often we don't live that out. We don't live that out because so many people have not reached this conclusion yet that they're still at the point almost of, 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 of growing up through this idea of, well, does God still love me? You know, I'm messed up, I've failed. Does he still listen? God loves you. That's a measurement of his love. He says he is dwelling in your heart because he's repairing and reconciling and renovating and doing all the work that needs to be done in there. And Paul's prayer is not a prayer that says, Lord, bless them and Lord, keep them. Paul's prayer is this. Oh God, that they would know by their, their, in their inner being inside them by your Holy Spirit that they would know the glorious riches that were available to them because your son is dwelling in their heart. And, and to grasp that, they would be able to see how much God loves you this morning, today. And because of that, you have a purpose in God when you step away from that. Because God writes, and sorry, Paul writes and says this through what God is saying to him, that the goal of this is, is simply fullness or maturity, that actually people would grow up in God. But he says this, says this power is not an individual power. This prayer for power, he writes five words. He says, together with all God's people. Oh, that's a prayer for every single one of us. You know what I love about church? He says, each of us need each other. Paul doesn't come and say, listen, God is doing a work in your life and you don't need anybody else. He says, listen, we need everybody else. There will be some people who will encourage us and there will be some people who will discourage us. We learn lessons from both. There will be some people who bring joy into our life. There will be other people who don't bring joy into our life. There are some people that bless us when they arrive and there are some people that bless us when they leave. <laughs> the reality is 
that we need each other. That's why Paul says here, he says, together with all God's people. It's not an individual thing. That's a bit we get stuck on. Oh, I love that bit about, Matt, that you said about the glorious riches coming from God through Christ. Oh, I love that. And I love that bit about Christ dwelling in your heart and how much God loves us. But see that bit about together with all God's people. You know, those people that are sitting next to you, not in here this morning, but those people sometimes are sitting, those people that, oh, I don't know if he means them. I'm not even sure they're even saved. <laughs> you know, we're not even sure. <laughs> but the reality is that God uses each and every one of us to bring out the best in each and every one of us. Yeah. Paul could not be in Ephesus. He left, he planted the church. He left the leaders in charge, the elders in charge. He wasn't going back to them at any point. So he drops this in here and says, it's not about one person or two people or the leaders or anybody. It's about everybody. And he says, together with all God's people, it's a prayer for all God's people. Why? John Stott says this, he says, it needs the whole people of God to understand the whole love of God. Loving this way is easy. The vertical, the what's not to love, to sing worship and, and to love God because of all he's done. But the demonstration and the expression of the love that way is always going out that way. That's the together with all God's holy people. That's what God uses to bring us to maturity. That's the prayer that Paul is praying for the church here. You see, you cannot grow in the love of Christ without a greater love for the church. I've said this before several times. It's when I've said you don't need the church to become a Christian, but you do need the church to be a Christian. But because the reality is this is how much we need each other to, to pray for one another, to encourage one another. I've heard some great reports in the last couple of weeks of people just saying, you know, I spent a week praying for one person. The, the idea that we gave out in the first week, I didn't tell them I was praying for them, but people were saying, the two people in particular said, by day two or three, it was like when I prayed for them, it was almost like I just wanted God, just I wasn't, it had moved from just blessing them, that God just giving them everything that they were praying for, that God was, in a sense, pouring out his love upon them, one person said, that, that, that actually God was actually answering all of their prayers, that, that God was giving them everything, and they just carried on praying for the people, because the theme of this series is we have not stopped praying, but it's praying for each other. It's not praying in a sense that we can do it by ourselves it's me praying for you uh, and you praying for me and us praying for each other why because we, we don't need the church to become a Christian but we do need the church to be a Christian because we need each other he says it was his idea and the final thing that Paul prays for them here he talks about them being filled and this being filled follows on from understanding and grasping the love of Christ he says, we never want church to become a place where we teach you a set of principles, sing a few songs, come to the table. We want it to be a place where people fall in love with Jesus. 
We want it to be a place where people grasp and comprehend the love of Christ in their lives that fixes their broken lives and gives them a purpose in their life. So they don't feel as though they have to go and do something else, but actually that God has something for them. That's the prayer that we pray. It's the passion that we have that God would lead all of you to maturity, would lead all of us to maturity, would lead all of us into his purpose. And it's all through his son, Jesus Christ. It moves beyond salvation. It's salvation for purpose. It's salvation to do the works that God has called us to do, to extend and build his kingdom. Why? Because his whole prayer here is simply this. Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith, but that you would understand and try to grasp this love that surpasses knowledge so high, so wide, so deep, that you cannot begin to explain it this morning. All you can do this morning is come and worship the one who is the King of Kings. Let us pray. Father God, we come before you this today. Father, we thank you for this prayer that your servant prays for the church. And Father, we have that as an, as an example today. But Father, it goes beyond that for us, for in this church, Father, we want to pray for each other. Father, we want to pray that, that each other would know that deep dwelling of your Son within our hearts, that we would begin to try to grasp and comprehend the love that you have for us through your Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, even if we don't quite get all of that today, our response is to come and worship he who is the king of kings he who sets the prisoner free he who gives us purpose in our lives he who takes our sadness and turns it to joy he who fixes the broken things by moving in at the beginning where it's a mess and renovates and repairs and restores and Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, today. Yeah. And Father, we just come as a response, in response to worship him today. For we love him, for we know he loves us so much more.